Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to finish chapter 11 this morning and jump into chapter 12. Uh, I really do hope and pray that you've enjoyed this series, that uh, God has spoken to you about something. I want to share just a couple thoughts that I guess the Lord has kind of reminded me as I've gone through this series over the past uh, 12 weeks now. So we're coming to the conclusion of the whole matter, as it says in verse 13 of chapter 12. We're coming to the end, so... You know, I thought about like any good preacher, I'm just going to draw this out for another 12 weeks until we finally end it all. I'm not going to do that. Uh, We're going to end, Lord willing, next week with this series and jump into a new series in a couple weeks. But I've really appreciated it, and I've really, the Lord has really spoken to me a lot about about some specific things, and and I'll I'll allude to that here in just a minute. But if you find your place in God's Word, go ahead and stand. We're going to start reading in verse number 7 this morning of chapter 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Starting in verse number seven. Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain, In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease, because they are few. What he's talking about is referencing to the body, and we'll get to that later in the message. And those that look out the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. He shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of the music shall be brought low. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Wherever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken, and the fountain of the wheel be broken at the cistern, verse 7 and 8, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you again for this day. And Lord, again, I thank you for uh, what we've already experienced thus far in your house, Lord, the <laughs> sweet time of dedication of this uh, precious child. And God, I pray that you'd uh, just continue to be with us, be with us as a church. I pray that you'd help this, uh, this message this morning to, to truly reach out and affect our lives. Lord, it's already affected me in a great way as I've studied and prepared, and, and I believe you've given me what you've, you would have for me uh, this morning. But God, I pray that you'd help us to realize just how short life is, and our life isn't meant to be lived the way that we want it to be lived. Our life is meant to be lived according to you, according to your word. So God, I pray that you'd help us to remember that. 
And I pray that you'd help us to learn the very important yet practical principles that Solomon teaches us here at the end. We love you in Christ in my prayer. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Anybody like roller coasters? Anybody like roller coasters? Yes. All right. We got a lot of roller coaster enthusiasts uh, out here. Uh, I've I've realized that um, you know when I was younger I, I loved roller coasters. I still love them today, but my love for them is growing less and less. Anybody with me? Uh, as you get older, further on, yeah. As you get older, your your love grows less and less. I think some of that. It's not necessarily that I'm scared, but. Um, you know, I think the longest I've ever waited in line for a roller coaster or an attraction is upwards to two, two and a half hours. It's a long time to wait. And I've realized that, okay, I'm waiting for two, two and a half hours for a ride that's going to take less than three minutes or four minutes max. Uh, the point is that, you know, you wait all of this time and then it's gone. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, what do I do next? Let's go get in another line and wait for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour and a half for another two minute ride. Uh, roller coasters and attractions like that are very fleeting. They're very short, very temporary. They don't last long. And really, that's the picture that Solomon is giving us in our life. In a sense, our life is like a roller coaster. There's a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns. There's probably some moments that make you vomit, right? Probably some moments you're like, what just happened? I feel like I'm going to fall out. I feel like I'm going to die. But our life is that perpetual up and down motion that Sometimes there are good moments and sometimes there are bad moments. And really, Solomon has been taking us on this journey of life and this journey of satisfaction, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find contentment and lasting joy in a world that just doesn't have it. And he's long for satisfaction. He's long for significance. And yet everything he searched for under the sun here on this earth, he realized that it was all vanity. It was all empty. It was all worthless. In a sense, as we talked about the very first week, it was as if he was chasing the wind. Chasing the wind doesn't get you anywhere. And that's what he realized with life. You know, this series, again, has reminded me of just how short and fleeting life really is. It's reminded me that chasing after satisfaction in temporal things doesn't last. It's reminded me that I have but one life to live and The life that I have is a gift from God. The life that I have is meant to be lived not for my own pleasure, not for my own glory, not that I can't find pleasure in this life, but the life that God has given me is meant to be lived to find pleasure in Him, to bring Him glory, to bring Him satisfaction. And as I mentioned, as we've talked about countless times throughout this series, life is fleeting. We know that. Many of us have experienced tragedy firsthand in our lives past several months, this past year. Even on a grander scale in the world, the world lost a huge celebrity last Sunday at this time, Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and seven others that were on that helicopter. And again, as I heard the news Sunday afternoon, last Sunday, again, it just reminded me of how short life is and how we're not promised another day. My heart breaks for the family, and more than anything, I pray that they knew Jesus as their Savior. Because heaven is for those that have trusted Jesus as their Savior. doesn't matter how much good you've done on this earth. And Kobe Bryant was a good man. He was a good father. Left a lasting legacy. But I only pray that he truly knew Jesus as his Savior, that he trusted him, and he asked him to forgive him of his sins. And if he did, then he is enjoying a life in heaven But if he didn't, he's spending his eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. 
And as the Bible is clear, and as I've been reminded in this series, hell is a place full of regret. It's a place full of guilt and shame. Shame for the life that you lived and chasing things that really weren't that important, really didn't matter. A life of regret, thinking that, man, I thought I had all of life to to make that decision to trust Christ. I thought I had all my life to, 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 to later, once I sowed my wild oats, to finally live for God, but we're not promised. The Bible says in James, what is your life? It is just a vapor, right? That appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. But the thing I know about heaven is in heaven there is no regret. There is no shame. There is no guilt because we're with our Creator, the one that created the heavens, the earth, the one that gave us life, the one that sustains life. And the biggest thing that I want people to take from this series as we start drawing to the end is, again, how short life is and how much we need a Savior. And I've talked about it at times in this series, but I pray that if you are not a child of God, if you are not saved, why wait? Why think that, man, I have my whole life to to make that decision? You don't. That's the truth. That's the reality. And I pray that everyone in here will leave knowing Jesus as their Savior, but I know it's very well that some might leave without knowing Him as their Savior. But the most important thing I want you to take from this series is that our life is a gift, and life is meant to be lived for God, for His glory, First and foremost, it's very important to accept the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're not saved, then what are you waiting for? But if you are saved, are you truly living each day for Him? Are you truly living each day for His glory, for His honor? Or are you too busy chasing the wind? Are you too busy focused on trivial things that don't really matter instead of valuable things? that do matter. We've realized that life under the sun is predictably unpredictable, right? We don't know what's going to happen. In all of our plannings, in all of our efforts, it never goes according to our plans. Even this week for me, I have plans, and as I joked a couple weeks ago, my wife has her her planner that's, you know, all decked out in different colors and stickers and looks great. My planner is gray, and it's in pencil. It's black and white that I can erase because there's a lot of times where I have to erase things and start all over. Not saying one is better than the other, but the thing is I've realized is that even my plans don't always go the way I intended them to go. And even this week I had certain days that I always have set for study or preparation and, and inevitably something always happens. Whether it be someone coming to my office or someone wants to reach out to me and and seek counsel on a matter, it it, it never fails. And I've realized that in all my planning, it still goes awry. But I still have to, to do what God has called me to do. And in Solomon, as he's coming to the end of his life, he's realizing, he's showing us, listen, that life's ultimate meaning can only be found in Jesus and not in the continually changing circumstances of life. Because circumstances change, do they not? What, we, what happened yesterday may not happen today. What happens today may not happen tomorrow. And life under the sun is filled with real people, real problems, and real pain. 
right? There are real people here today with real problems, and a lot of you have real pain, real suffering, real heartache. That is true. And throughout the book, Solomon has been highlighting very important spiritual and practical truths. And as he's on this journey, as he's concluding this journey in chapter 11 and 12, he's showing us, as I talked about last week, some pictures of life to finally wrap it all up and show us where meaning is found. And as we looked at last week, the very first picture of life is that life is an adventure and we are to live it by faith. God has called us to live by faith, to step out by faith. And as I mentioned last week, it's very easy for us in our faith to be complacent, right? It's very easy for us to say, well, I'm just going to wait on God. And the Bible is very clear and specific on waiting on God. But I've seen in my own life that there are many times where I have just continually, I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting on God to do something when God has also encouraged me to take a step, to be active in my faith and not just inactive. Life is an adventure. We are to live it by faith. And as Solomon talked about in the very first verses of chapter 11, we are to live generously. Oh, I've realized this principle so often in my life. You know, the, the more that God has blessed me with, the real, this, this is the realization I've come to. The more that God has blessed me with, it just means the more I can bless others. It means the more that I can give away. This life was never meant to be given to us to keep. It was meant to be given to us to give back to others. And I hope and pray that all of us have that understanding, that the more God gives you, the more God blesses you, all it is, it's the more that you can give away. We don't live our lives to get, we live to give, and in giving, the more we give, the more we're allowed to give back. The more God gives us, like I said last week, Solomon gives that picture of a cloud. God never designed for a cloud to just be fat and stay fat. What the cloud produces, all of the rain in the atmosphere, eventually that cloud has to let go, right? That cloud has to release, but I've met a lot of fat cloud Christians, that they are trying to store up and store up and store up and selfishly hoard the gifts, the talents that God has given them, the finances, the resources, instead of giving back. You know, I've talked briefly about the impact offering and the envelopes, and, and I continue to encourage you to give, because what we're trying to do is to advance God's kingdom and, and give to others whether they be less fortunate or us than not. And there's a lot of other areas that we're going to do that in this year, but I really encourage you to give because it's an eternal investment that you're making. It's very important. But Solomon is showing us the secret to satisfaction is first and foremost found in understanding that life is an adventure and that generosity is the key. But the second picture that we're going to spend the time on this morning and dive a little bit deeper into tonight is this. Life is a gift. Life is a gift. Solomon shows us this in verse 7 all the way through verse 8 of chapter 12. You know, this series should help you to learn how to define, observe, and engage in the life that God has given you. And I want you to think about this. What a joy it is to anticipate each new day and accept each new day as a gift from God. The thing I realize about a gift is that it's given to me to enjoy. And honestly, there are some gifts that have been given to me that I do not enjoy. I just want to throw away. But sadly, I've seen many people that have been given a wonderful gift of life, and they are just throwing it away. They are wasting it. 
on trivial things, on foolish things, on things that don't really matter. So Solomon, in all of his search, a man that, that did whatever he wanted, that took whatever he wanted, finally realizes that, you know what? Life is a gift, and I can't live it for myself. I have to live it for God. And it's a joy to anticipate each new day. Look, there are problems, there are struggles. You wake up each day sometimes with pain that you didn't have the day before, but still, it's a gift from God. Cherish it, be thankful for it. All of us should be thankful for the gift of life that God has given us. Because of sin, our world is filled with darkness. Light and sun are symbols to convey joy and blessing and comfort and hope and warmth in contrast to pain and sorrow and the cold of darkness. And Solomon shows us three specific things. Since life is a gift, three things that we must do, and they're all one word each. I want you to look at verse 8 and 9. There's two words in here, the same word. Verse 8, it says, But if a man live many years and rejoice. Verse number 9, the very first word is rejoice. So the first thing Solomon wants us to do is rejoice. Since life is a gift, rejoice in the fact. Verse 7 says, Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes. Now, for the Star Wars fans today, Solomon is telling us to not join the dark side, to join the light side. That's what he's saying. It's probably not. But Solomon is saying light is sweet, pleasant for the eyes. In Scripture, light is symbolic of life. And the word sweet can be translated as pleasant. Here's the simple meaning. It's good to be alive, so take advantage of that. It's good to be alive, so take advantage of the fact that you are alive because there are a lot of people that aren't, right? Light and sun are symbols of the life lived in the love of God. In the winter, I've referenced this, in many states it's very gray, very gloomy. Uh, when we were first married, uh, we lived in Indiana, and, and Amanda's from Colorado, which Colorado is one of the, uh, the highest states for blue, sunny days. And they didn't have a lot of gray days in Colorado, so when, when she first moved to Indiana, she was excited because wintertime, it's basically gray all winter. She's like, this is awesome, you know, and it, it, it's great, like maybe the first winter, and then she realized how horrible it really is because it's gray, it's gloomy, it's frustrating, you, you kind of get depressed and discouraged sometimes. Life is not meant to be a burden. That's what I'm trying to say. Life is a blessing. And you think about this, what Solomon is saying, a lot of times on gray days, you just kind of want to stay in, right? You don't really want to do anything. You're not, you don't go outside and man, this is an awesome day. It just lifts my spirits up. You're usually like, oh, it's great. Man, this is annoying. But on a sunny day, isn't it much different? You go outside on a sunny day and you're like, wow, I just feel better. I feel like five years younger. You know, I, I can do anything I want to do. Maybe that's not the truth, but... <laughs> Sunny days just lift our spirit up. And really the principle that Solomon is saying is that he's encouraging us to step into the sunlight. And really, I think we can make this application. It's not drawing too much. But life lived in the presence of the sun, S-O-N, is a life that is pleasing to God. Because that's where we find true satisfaction. That's where we find true joy. I can't help but think of what Paul says in Philippians in verse 4 of chapter 4, where he says, rejoice in the Lord. What? Always, right? And again, I say rejoice. 
We have to understand that experiencing joy is not just a suggestion. It's a command. Joy is not just an emotion. It's an act of will. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah 8.10 that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So what Solomon is saying is rejoice in God. Rejoice in the gift that he has given you. William Vanderhaven once said, joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. That's so true. Joy doesn't mean we're never going to have trouble. But a Christian can truly rejoice, not saying that I have no trouble, I have no difficulty, I have no circumstances that I don't like, but I can rejoice in the fact that Jesus is God's son, he is in control, he is in charge of everything, and when I live my life in relation to him, and when I give my life to him, I find joy, I find satisfaction. And the truth is, church, understand this, no unsaved person can truly find lasting joy. Because true and lasting joy only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Though they can find happiness at times, but happiness is fleeting. Joy lasts. This is what God wants for us. He wants to encourage us. You know what makes life worth living? Stepping into the presence of the Son, Jesus Christ. Just like the light and the sun cause our spirits to improve, so does our Heavenly Father. Because He gives us His love and acceptance. We find joy in his presence. We've been approved by him, redeemed, and made righteous by him. This is what makes life beautiful and enjoyable. This is the cause for rejoicing. Verse number eight, Solomon says, But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness. Look, there are going to be dark times, dark days, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. There's going to be a lot of times that flat out are painful, that flat out stink. <laughs> there are a lot of times, there are a lot of days, there are a lot of hours that we are not going to like. But I want you to understand a very important principle. Life is not meant to be a burden to bear. Life is a gift to enjoy. And I've seen many people, Christians and non-Christians, that are going through life as a burden Life isn't a burden. I know there are burdens in life. I know there are circumstances beyond your control that you do not like. But think about this. What's a better life? Living a life in continual pain and sadness and sorrow or living a life in joy? It's so much better to live a life in joy. Does that mean we shouldn't be sad or we shouldn't be sorrowful? No, 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 no. As Solomon said, there's going to be a lot of days of darkness. There's going to be a lot of days that we flat out do not like that are just horrible. But we need to learn to rejoice knowing that God is in control. That God is on the throne. And life is not meant to be a burden to bear, but a gift to enjoy. And listen, the secret to enjoyment of life is not found in your possessions. Jesus made mention of that in Luke chapter 12, where he told us that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things he possesses. It doesn't matter how much you possess, that's not what's going to bring you true joy. It's not how much you have, but rather a relationship with the living God. So rejoice in your relationship. Solomon finally is understanding that joy is not found in my stuff. It's not found in, in my possessions. It's not found in how much money I have, how much uh, uh, resources I have, how much women I have. It's not found in those things. 
Joy is found in a relationship with God. And I can't help but think of Psalm 118, 24, where it says, This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. You know, I often, honestly, I don't, I don't joy or rejoice in my circumstances. And I'm sure many of you are the exact same way. You don't necessarily rejoice in your circumstances. You don't necessarily rejoice in your trials. I don't rejoice when something bad happens to me. But I can rejoice in my Savior. I can rejoice in a God who has given me so much. Because I know that life is fleeting and this isn't the end. There is something far better waiting for me. Life is not meant to be a drudgery to wake up, oh, I got to go through another day. No, I get to live another day. I get to live for God for another day. I get to bring glory and honor to my Savior another day. Realize that since you're left, God has given you a gift to use. But how many have ever had a gift that you wasted? Anybody? Uh, many parents know this to be true with Christmas time and birthdays when you give your wonderful gift of a children a gift that they put in their closet or in the trash can and never use. It's a blessing, isn't it? And, and I've done that. And I was thinking about it this week. Um, when I was growing up as a kid, I, I always wanted a certain pair of uh, tennis shoes. You know, I always wanted what I thought was you know, the best. I wanted a pair of Jordans. Uh, my parents never bought it because that was too much money. Praise God for that, right? Uh, they didn't buy me the pair of Jordans that I wanted because it was too much money, so they went to, like, you know, pay less. You don't get good shoes at Payless. At least the kid didn't think so. Now, today I'm like, let's go to Payless and let's get all these shoes because they're a lot cheaper, and it doesn't really matter. They're about the same anyway. But as a kid, I'm like, oh, man, I need a pair of Jordans. I need a pair of Kobe's. I need a pair of whatever. My parents never bought that. And finally, as I got older and started getting a little bit of money, uh, I had to buy my own shoes. And finally, I think, I don't know if it was just me or with the help of my parents, I finally got a pair of Jordans. But you know what I did with them? Most of the time, I left them in the box. I'm like, that's pretty stupid. Yeah, it is. It really was. Because eventually, I grew out of them. And I couldn't wear them anymore. But they were basically brand new. I wore them a few times to play basketball in and this and that. But I had a wonderful gift. And instead of actually utilizing it and enjoying it, it was in my closet. That's a great place for it. And I know I'm probably going to step on some toes here, but, you know, I think about this. You know, people spend fifty, sixty, eighty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 on this car that they park in their garage. Isn't that great? That's awesome, right? Maybe you have one of those cars today, and I'm not trying to get on you, but really, we are supposed to enjoy things, right? God has given us the life to not waste. And I made that application, that illustration, because I spent a lot of money, well over $100, which is a lot of money for a kid back in those days, still a lot of money. I spent a lot of money for a gift that I wasted. God has given us a priceless gift of life that many people are wasting. They are not rejoicing in. You know, it's like another story I read, and, and uh, both of our kids, they have, you know, those light-up shoes, you know. Uh, sometimes they're great, sometimes they're bad. Uh, the annoying ones are the ones that light up and make noise, like, seriously. Uh, someone gave us some for, for Nate, and uh, suddenly, within a couple weeks, they found a way of not making noise anymore. So I don't know how that happened. It just happened. Um, but anyway, um, I, I've read stories of this as well, where, you know, uh, this kid got a pair of light-up shoes for Christmas one time, and 
He just, he loved him. He was, he was running around and hitting the pavement. Every time he hit the pavement, you know, uh, the, the shoes would light up. And his mom said, you know, if, if, if you waste it, then, you know, it's going to be no good. Eventually the battery's going to run out and, you know, the lights aren't going to work. So what he did was he put them in a box and he never wore them. <laughs> well, we have to find the balance. We have to rejoice in the gift that God has given us and learn to use it for the best of our ability. Let's continue on. Verse number nine. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. How many remember your youth? Anybody? Some of you are still youth and you remember it. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. So he continues in verse number nine, helping us understand that youth have energy. You know, my kids have a lot of energy. Nate has a ton of energy, Noah has a ton of energy, and as I'm getting older, my energy is not as much as theirs. And sadly, sometimes, and I'm, 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 maybe I'm telling on myself, and I'm sure there are other parents like this today, but I cannot wait for bedtime for them, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> they just have so much energy. It doesn't matter how tired they are, they want to keep going. And the older I'm getting, my energy is depleting. It's, it's not as much as it used to be. So sometimes I just want to rest, right? Can I get an amen for that? I just want to rest. I just want to, to sleep and, and sleep in. But my kids are so full of life, so full of vigor, so full of energy. They wake up at like five in the morning every day and, hey, let's start. And they're already starting fighting each other. It's, it's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. I'm lying. It's not a blessing. It's an annoyance. But then there are also times where I look at them and like, man, I used to be like that. I used to be so full of energy and so full of vigor, and, and I just, I loved life. George Bernard Shaw once said, this is funny, he said, youth is such a wonderful thing, it's a, it's a shame to waste it on young people. <laughs> you know, I've always been an eternal optimist, looking for the best in things, but I've found myself, as I've gotten older, to be very cynical. Anyone else? <laughs> very cynical of life, and and I hate that. I hate the fact that I've turned into a cynic at times. Because it's as if I've forgotten my own youth. It's as if I've forgotten the energy, the fervor that I once have. Look, life is full of trouble, isn't it? But Solomon's advice here is to rejoice. Rejoice all the days that you have because it's a gift. And when you live life with pure and godly enjoyment, just like kids do, then you're not going to wake up the next morning with regret and remorse. I'm sure there's people in this audience today that have woken up with regret for what just happened the previous night, with remorse for what just took place. Kids don't typically do that. They wake up with energy, with excitement. So Solomon is saying, when you live life with the proper perspective, when you rejoice in the gift that God has given you, you don't live life as a burden, as a drudgery. You don't have remorse because you made a bunch of stupid mistakes. You realize that it's a gift, and I'm going to live it for God, and there is no shame in living for God, right? There's no shame at all living for God, doing what God wants us to do, but there's a lot of shame living for yourself. Solomon is testimony to that. 
There is a lot of shame of waking up with a different woman as he had over a thousand women in his life. There's a lot of shame, a lot of regret, a lot of remorse in some of the foolish decisions that he made in this life. Look, young people, for the most part, always believe that everything is going to turn out. They energetically pursue these things. And that's what these verses are encouraging us. I like what Tony Evans said. He said, today is the tomorrow you were looking for yesterday. Today is the tomorrow you were looking for yesterday. And here's the key truth. We need to accept life as a gift and learn to enjoy and rejoice in all that God shares with us. Accept life as a gift and learn to enjoy and rejoice in all that God shares with us. Let's continue on. Verse number 10. Therefore, remove. So the first thing Solomon instructs us to do in understanding that life is a gift is to rejoice in this life. The second thing he says is this, remove. This is key. Remove. Remove what? Sorrow from thy heart. Put away evil from thy flesh. For children or childhood and youth are vanity. Privileges must be balanced by personal responsibilities. Young people must put anxiety out of their hearts. Let's be honest this morning. Anyone struggle with anxiety? I think many of us do. I have something I'm going to grab on my phone. It's something I want to read. But I think a lot of us struggle with anxiety. There are times where I can struggle with anxiety. There are times my wife can struggle with anxiety. There are times that I know many of you can struggle with anxiety as well. There are things that really are just beyond our control. Things that we don't like, how they, how they turned out. And, and instead of releasing those things, releasing those moments and, and truly giving them over to God, what do we do? We worry about things. And, I, and I'm not saying anxiety is not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a very big deal. And a lot of people struggle greatly with it. But God never intended us to live a life of worry to live a life of regret. And, and in the book that my wife is reading, Stewarding Life, and the one she's going to be doing with the, with the ladies there every other Tuesday night, there's a chapter in there, and it says God's prescription for peace. And the chapter is all about requesting without worry. I just want to read a couple things this morning. The author says, God specifically commands us to be careful for nothing. The word careful is pretty self-defining. Just flip the compound parts around and you have a functioning definition, full of care. The word nothing literally means not even one thing. So there you have it. There is a command forbidding even the smallest amount of worry. But how many of us in reality live without worry? This natural tendency of our minds is exceedingly detrimental to our faith. Listen to this. This is good. Anxiety takes our thoughts captive, playing their faulty script over and over through our minds. And when you really think about it, and this was very convicting when I read this, when she shared this with me, when you really think about it, anxiety is a form of pride. It stems from the erroneous conviction that we are responsible for the outcome of the circumstances that in reality are quite often beyond our control. The illusion of control will always develop anxiety. 
Dr. Archibald Hart pointed out, high adrenaline caused by overextension and stress depletes the brain's natural tranquilizers and sets the stage for high anxiety. If you believe that you can or should be able to work through every situation that enters your life, then you will live with anxiety. But life is bigger than us. And sometimes God allows overwhelming needs so we remember to put our trust in him. So what do you do with anxiety? What do you do with your worry? It's like the old saying, worry is like a rocking chair. It gets you nowhere, right? And look, I'm not, I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't think of anything. It, it, it's, it's sometimes humanly impossible to not worry. But the Bible is very specific on what we should do with our worry, what we should do with our anxiety, our anxious feelings, our stress. Because there is someone that can handle it. Does anybody know who it is? Anybody ever heard of him? God. And look, I, I know there are times of medication, and that, that I, I get that. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But how often do we truly, do we truly release our emotions and give them to God? I look at my own life. Let's just put it to, to me this morning. I look at my own life and so many times in my worry, in my anxiousness, in my anxiety, stress, whatever, it's me trying to control things that were never mine to control. And from a doctor's standpoint, we've learned that anxiety and stress could cause ulcers and other things in our body that aren't meant to be there. Because we're trying to hold on to things. We're trying to control what is not ours to control. But if you remember the very first message of this year, I said, there's something I want us to do as a church this year. Anybody remember what that, what that was? I challenge you. I want you to learn to lose control. Because in losing control, we are saying, God, I can't handle this. I can't handle this life. But you can. You know, it's almost like the video. It's, we all have stuff. We all have baggage, right? We all have burdens, but it's basically saying, here's my stuff, God. Because your shoulders are bigger. You can handle it. I can't. And, and the times in my life, listen, and it, you know, there's a lot of things that I can talk about with worry and anxiousness and all that kind of stuff. And there are Christian books that are written from a biblical perspective that I have in my office that are very good concerning that. But the more I worry, the more it shows my pride. The more anxiety I have, the more it shows my pride because I'm trying to control something that is not mine to control. I do this with my finances. I do this with the church finances. I do this with problems that, that come my way. And what good does it do me? Nothing, none. And most of the time in my worry, and maybe you're different than this, but most of my time in my worry, it never turns out the way that I envision it would. It's almost comical that, you know, before I go into any situation, a lot of times I think of a hundred different scenarios, and usually none of those scenarios even pan out. <laughs> sometimes they do, but I try to prepare myself for anything and everything that I think could happen, and sometimes it's like, I wasn't expecting that one, because if I truly gave my life to God and I truly gave the situation to God, sometimes God handles it in a way that's much better than I even thought of or in a way that I never even thought of. And what Solomon is saying here, listen, he says, therefore remove sorrow from thy heart. 
Remove worry. Remove the pain. Put away evil from thy flesh. Look, I know there are circumstances that promote deep sadness and hurt, and I'm not diminishing that. But a meaningful life learns to remove those feelings that tend to weigh us down and rob and steal our joy. The gift that God has given us, the phrase, listen, the phrase childhood and youth are vanity does not mean that these stages in life are unimportant and a waste of time. Quite the opposite is true. The best way to have a happy adult life and a contented old age is to get a good start early in life and avoid things that will bring trouble later on. Young people who take care of their minds and bodies avoid the destructive sins of the flesh and build good habits of health and holiness have a better chance for a happy and joyful adult years than those who sow their wild oats and pray for crop failure. (laughs) How many of us have done that? Well, they're just sowing their wild oats. You're going to reap what you sow. The Bible is very clear on that. But the phrase basically means, listen, that childhood and youth are transient, which means they go by quickly. And we should not waste any opportunity for preparing for the future. The Hebrew word translated youth can mean dawning, or the blackness of hair as opposed to gray or white hair. Youth is indeed a time of dawning, and before we know it, the sun will start to set. And living in light of eternity and uh, and the eternal God gives us hope for life. Not only for what's to come, but living in light of eternity and understanding that God is in control, that God is sovereign, will help us remove sorrow from your heart. Because look, there are seasons of sorrow and pain and sadness, but which is better, to always be in sadness and always be in sorrow or to live a life of rejoicing? It's so much better to live a life of rejoicing. And that's what this series has taught me, that yes, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be sorrowful because there's going to be circumstances that happen to me that I do not like, that are beyond my control. And I can dwell on them. I can focus on them. I can feel sorry for myself, or I can give it over to God and say, God, I don't understand this, but you're in charge. You're in control. I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to rejoice in what you've given me. And even when death happens, when death occurs, God helped me to rejoice in the fact that I was able to experience a life with that individual, that I was able to to celebrate with them. So help me to celebrate the life that you've given me. As we continue on in chapter 12, look, so many times people try to find satisfaction in created things rather than the creator. They seek satisfaction in anything and anyone other than God and to do so is in fact idolatry. Does anyone like spam? I'm not talking about the stuff that comes in your mailbox. You like spam? There's, there's a reason. There's a problem with that. It makes a lot of sense now. Ryan, you like spam too? Okay. There's a reason for that as well. You know, some people like spam. We got a few other people. That's fine. Honestly, it's, it's fine if you like spam. If you don't like spam, Whatever. But one of my commentaries, I just want to share this really quickly. Uh, The guy said, I don't know how old he is, but he said, spam was a hot commodity at the dinner table when I was growing up. But now spam is an unwanted commodity at the computer. He said, whatever the influence, the word spam is now the victim of an ever-changing world. The new spam lacks all the qualities and properties associated with the miracle of the first appearing of spam. It, (laughs) It... It describes a wanton and wasted use of energy, money, and technology for those who frequent the internet. 
Today, I like this, he says, spam is unsatisfying and useless. Solomon contested some spam of his own in the ancient world. In fact, it was the time, attention, and effort diverted by spam that caused Solomon to express cynicism and despair towards life at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. Solomon's spam concoction was simple. Sex, power, achievement, and money. Like the meat product of yesterday and the junk emails of today, the four components of Solomon's spam proved to be disappointing and unsatisfying pursuits in the search for satisfaction. Eventually, all lead to emptiness. And the writer says, have you come to the same conclusion? Are you dissatisfied with the spam of your life? Look, Solomon knew God, forsook God, and then finally is coming back to God. And here's the important principle as we start wrapping this up this morning. When you lose God, you lose everything. When you lose God, you lose everything. Tim Keller once said, everybody has to live for something. Whatever that something is becomes the Lord of your life, whether you think of it that way or not. Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely, and if you fail him, listen, will forgive you eternally. And Solomon leads to the third conclusion, that yes, life is meant to live, to be rejoiced. We're supposed to remove the sorrow, but third and finally, we must remember. Remember. The word remember simply means to be brought to mind. The implication is that your memory impacts your behavior and decisions. To remember is to frame your life around this reality. To forget is to travel down all the wrong roads. To remember is to hold on tightly. To forget is to let go of and lose sight of. You know what Solomon was telling us as he looks at these verses? I was foolish in my youth. I wish I had never forgotten God. He says in verse 1, and he's writing this specifically to his son, and the principles are two for us today. Remember now thy creator. In the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And then he takes us on a metaphorical tour. You know, in all of Solomon's investigation, he found the correct center of life is not himself. You know what the correct center of life is? God. Back in the fifth century, Ptolemy, uh, an astronomer, he concluded that earth was in fact the center of the universe. Almost a thousand years later in the 14th century, a man by the name of Copernicus came around. And Copernicus realized that all of Ptolemy's investigations were faulty, were flawed. And as he started searching for what was actually true, he realized that it wasn't the earth that was the center of the universe. You know what the center of the universe was? The sun. And on a grander scale, you know what the center of our universe is? Jesus Christ. It's always only ever been about Jesus. And as Solomon is getting older, he is realizing that life revolves around the creator and not the creation. And on this metaphorical tour, he shows this in the next several verses. And we're going to dive deeper into this tonight. I just want to quickly give it to you. But the arms and hands are the keepers that it refers to. They begin to weaken and tremble. Legs and knees and shoulders, the strong men weaken and cause one to be bent. The teeth, the grinders begin to come loose. Some of you have lost some of your grinders and you have to have fake grinders. <laughs> they become loose. Eyesight or the windows begin to fail. Bodily functions, the doors begin to diminish. 
The ears can't hear very well. The mind can't sleep as long. Heights become more fearful. Falling becomes more dangerous. Hair, which is the almond tree, turns to white and eventually falls out. Energy, or the grasshopper, is deceased or decreased, and movement slows down. Physical desires diminish, and your desire for your long home in heaven grows more and more each and every day. You know what we learn from this? While you still have the strength, remember. Remember your Creator. If while you're young, you're always dying to do this and dying to do that, one day you're going to grow old and realize you're just dying. But Solomon closes out in verse 7 and 8. I close with this. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. So what he's saying, if, if life on earth is all about this, then it's all useless, it's all empty. To find true meaning, listen, you have to bring God into the equation. You have to allow God to help bring clarity and proper perspective. And the key truth is this, only when we acknowledge our creator and our desperate need of a relationship with him can we find true satisfaction. <clears throat> only when we acknowledge God as our creator. God is the creator. And that's what Solomon is saying here. Remember now thy creator. Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Don't waste your youth. Realize that Jesus, that God, he is the one that is in charge of all. And it leads to the final application, and it's this. What is your focal point? What is your focal point in life? And I want to encourage you to be back tonight because I'm going to dive much deeper into this subject of focal points. But what is your focal point? Is it you? Is it your circumstances? Is it your relationships? Is it your bank account? Is it your possessions? What is your focal point? Or is it God? Is God truly your focal point? I think almost everyone in here would say, oh, yeah, yeah, God is my focal point. But let's investigate your life and see if that's true. Let's investigate your priorities and see if that's true. Let's investigate what you spend your money on. Let's see if that's true. Because I've realized at times where I said, yes, God is my focal point, but he wasn't. He was fifth or sixth on the list. And I've seen many people in church, God isn't their focal point. It's their life. It's their self. It's their circumstances. It's their finances. It's their stuff. Listen to me. If you want to find satisfaction in life, you must start by analyzing your focal point. If you focus on anything or anyone other than God, then your own search for satisfaction will inevitably lead to frustration and disappointment. Life is an adventure. We are called to live by faith, to live, to give generously. But life is also meant to be enjoyed because it's a gift. So Solomon tells us to rejoice in it, to remove the sorrows, the anxiety, and to remember your creator. And I close with this core truth. When you lose God, you lose everything. Only when we acknowledge our creator and our desperate need for a relationship with him can we find the secret to satisfaction? Life is a gift to rejoice, remove, and remember.